excited. Today we are going to be starting a new series that we're going to be doing over the next three weeks. And this series is going to be called Cautionary Tales. I think this is great. You know, so often in the scriptures we look at the heroes of the faith, great men and great women who do incredible things. And that's great. We need to learn off those people. But also throughout the Bible, there are lots of stories of people who didn't make it, people who made bad decisions, people who ended up in a terrible place, and we actually have got a lot to learn off them as well. So in the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three cautionary tales. And today we're going to start by talking about Judas. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached on Judas. He's not the most inspirational character, is he? He's not the kind of guy like, hey, let's, let's really fire them up this morning, we'll preach on Judas. But that's what's going to happen today, and I'm absolutely believing that we're going to get some great stuff out of this. So why don't we pray, and then we're going to dig into uh, what we can learn from this cautionary tale today. Mighty God, we love you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here with us. God, I pray that for every one of us here, you'll open our eyes and our hearts, God, to hear what you, Holy Spirit, are saying to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure you've heard the story of the young young businessman who, who wants to learn, and so he goes to the older, wiser, successful businessman, and he asks him, what's the secret to success? And the old guy says, well, the secret to success, young fella, is making good decisions. So the young guy asks, so how do I make good decisions? And the old man says, with a wry grin, you make bad decisions. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I have made some spectacularly bad decisions over my lifetime. And uh, I can think of one that I don't think I've ever shared before, and uh, I'm going to share it this morning. I actually haven't even told Liz I'm sharing this this morning, so that's exciting. Uh, and it involved her as well, which is super exciting. So I hope the couch is warm tonight. But anyway, um, the, the, we, we actually had a friend of ours who, you know, a, a great guy, loved him to bits, and uh, quite prophetic usually. And he uh, came to us this particular time and says, God has told me, God has told me there's this thing that's going to happen, and it, it's going to impact one of the currencies in the world, and we should all buy this currency, like this week. Like it's urgent. And God is saying this, and he gave me all these prophetic things that he felt were from the Lord. And, and so we were like, oh, really? No, I, oh, I don't think so. But the more he talked, the more we thought, well, should we take a punt? You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And so we took a small amount of money, and, um, well, actually, at the time, it wasn't a small amount of money, but it was a small amount of money that we didn't have designated for anything, and so we went ahead and did it. How dumb was that? You know what our return is on that, that money that we gave? Nothing. Have we ever seen that money again? No. Investment by prophecy. I don't think it's a good idea. That was a really stunning decision that I made, and that's 500 bucks I won't see again. And, um, and look, so that's a great thing to learn from, right? If someone calls you and says, hey, God says this, and it has to happen right now, that's a great time to go, I don't think so. We're going to be fine. We're going to just we're going to keep doing what we're doing. So, and now here's the thing. We've all made decisions like that. It may not have been a stunning investment by prophecy decision like it was with me, but I'm sure that you have made myriads of bad decisions just like I have. Now, the dream, of course, is for us to learn from the mistakes of others. That's the, that's the way we all should do it. You know, no pain, great gain. That's what we should be doing. Unfortunately, it seems that we really seem to excel at learning only from our own mistakes. But in faith, believing that we are a different breed of people here today, we are going to look at a man who made some stellar mistakes, but we're going to learn off them. 
so that we don't go down the same route that he did. We can get ourselves a long way forward if we can learn the lessons from other people who become cautionary tales. So today we're going to look at Judas Iscariot. Now people's feelings about Judas are really on a spectrum. At one end we have people who think that Judas was literally the impersonation of evil. He was the traitor's traitor. He was the guy who dobbed in the son of God. There was no worse person and he should be punished for eternity for that. I mean, and that's kind of where in reality most of the Orthodox Church stands. You know, we, we all name our children after the apostles and after great disciples. We name our dogs uh, after Roman emperors, you know, Caesar, Nero, but nobody names their child after Judas. That should tell us something right off the bat. And so today, as we dig into this, we're going to learn some things about Judas. Some people think he's the worst of the worst, and yet some people are at the other end of the spectrum. They think Judas is just a tragic figure set up by God to take the fall. The guy had no chance. He had no choice. There was nothing he should do, and we should all feel sorry for Judas. Well, hopefully after looking at Judas today, we'll have a little bit of a better idea on perhaps where we should stand on him. Judas was one of only 12 disciples chosen by Jesus after a night of prayer. He was one of the ones that were chosen to come and follow Jesus and to become like him and to do the things that he did. You know, when the disciples were sent out in twos ahead of Jesus into every village to heal the sick, Judas was one of them. He was out there doing it. When the disciples returned rejoicing because the demons submitted to them, Judas was one of them. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000 and they picked up 12 basketfuls of fish and bread afterward, Judas was probably one of the guys carrying one of those baskets. When, the, when Jesus cast the demons out of the man at the garrisons near Decapolis into the pigs and the pigs went screaming and shrieking into the water, Judas was there and saw that. When Peter got out of the boat and walked on water, Judas was one of the guys going, oh, I wish I'd thought of that first. Judas was there for all of those things. When Lazarus was raised, Judas saw that. Judas was present when that happened. I mean, this guy saw things that we long to see. But along the way, Judas obviously made some decisions that led him on a different pathway than the other disciples. Decisions that he didn't learn from. Decisions that we must learn from if we're going to avoid the mistakes that he made. Because it's important to realize that it was Judas's decisions that led him from being a devoted follower to being a defiant betrayer. So we need to understand a few things about decisions. Number one, our decisions determine our direction. And you know that. At every point in your life, God, for some reason, entrusts us with the power to make decisions, the decision to take this job or, or another job, the decision to marry this person or another person, the decision uh, to, to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. And we need to understand today that it's our decisions that determine our direction. Secondly, we must understand that our actions come preloaded with consequences. You can't sin and expect God's favor on your life. You can't do foolish things and expect great outcomes to come from them. You can't follow prophetic investment advice from strange people and expect to make a lot of money out of that. That's not going to happen. So it's important for us to realize that when we make decisions and take actions, those consequences are already preloaded. 
And so in our decision making, we must look at the consequences of the decisions that we make before we make them. And number three, we need to realize that our sin comes between us and God. It always separates us. It always isolates us. It always pushes us away. So what were these decisions then that Judas made? Now, Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of information about Judas. But we believe that the information that the Scripture does give us is all that we need. And we can build up a picture of Judas from the information that Scripture does give us. So let's take a look at when Judas, Judas appears most significantly in the Bible text when we're first given a great deal of information about him. Now, it's about a week before the crucifixion. This is the time when Judas finally pops up to prominence. Um, they're at the house of a Pharisee who is known as Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Uh, it's in Bethany. It's just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Simon the leper is a Pharisee that tells us a number of things. He's part of one of the most significant influential ruling parties amongst the Jews. Um, they had a passion for keeping all of the Mosaic law. They were believers in the supernatural. They were believers in the resurrection. Now, this particular Simon held a supper in honor of Jesus, the scriptures tell us. Uh, the disciples are invited and a bunch of other people are invited as well. And we can see the same event recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John. It's also recorded in Luke, but Luke places it differently chronologically. And when you do a bit of study about Luke, you understand why. But it's important to know that this story is in every one of the eyewitness accounts. As well as the disciples being there, Lazarus is there. And his sisters, Martha and Mary, are present as well. Martha is serving the meal. And then Mary comes in, out of the blue, carrying this jar of unbelievably expensive perfume. And then she breaks it and begins to anoint Jesus with it. I mean, it's quite a gathering. And what we find out later is actually more people are coming all the time because the crowds have heard that Lazarus, the guy who was raised from the dead, is now hanging out for the evening at Simon the leper's place, and a crowd begins to gather. It is all on. Now, this is important because this tells us something about Simon. Because if Simon was still a leper, no one would be at his house. In fact, by law, he would be required to not even be in the town boundary of Bethany. He would have to live outside of the town boundary. So that tells us that Simon the leper was once a leper and is now healed. And chances are he was healed by Jesus, which explains why he's throwing a meal in honor of Jesus at his place. And so many people are there. In this gathering, there is this extreme action of devotion by Mary where she takes this perfume worth tens of thousands of dollars and she breaks it and she anoints Jesus. Now the disciples are shocked at this and we shouldn't be surprised at that. If while I was preaching, let's say someone came up here with uh, perfume worth $50,000 and we knew it and then they broke it and they started spraying me with it, we'd be shocked. We'd be stunned. You'd be like, what, what is going on? Two reasons. One, Mike doesn't smell that bad. <laughs> Secondly, 50 grand, we could have planted five churches in India with 50 grand. So, so the shock of the disciples is, is not unexpected, but what is unexpected is the vitriol that comes out of Judas. The Bible reports in Mark that Judas and, and the others began to rebuke her harshly, like they laid into her. 
as she was doing this astonishing thing. And what is interesting is that Jesus stood up for her and told them off. In fact, he specifically told Judas off. Judas, who had designated himself the spokesman for the group. Let's read this in John chapter 12. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. We're learning things about Judas here. But because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he'd raised from the dead. And Mark tells us in his account what happened next. It says, then, as in following on from that, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Important, interesting decision. It also says earlier in Mark, I think it is, that Jesus uh, that Judas was someone who was later to betray, later became a traitor. It tells us he wasn't always a traitor. So certain things happened on Judas's journey that led him to make decisions that ultimately meant that he betrayed the Son of God. Three things that caused Judas's failure that I want us to go through today because I think these are really important. And the first one is this, unaddressed sin. Unaddressed sin, you can write that in your notes unaddressed sin. The Apostle John, who's also one of the disciples, tells us that Judas was the guy in charge of the finances and tells us that somewhere along the way, Judas started to make the decision to take what was in there for himself. Now this is their collective funds. Everything that they received went in there. There were a number of other pretty smart people. You had, had Matthew, who was a tax collector. He was very used to taking in money and keeping records. So Judas must have been an impressive guy to kind of beat Matthew to that particular job description. And in the midst of, of all this, he was siphoning money off for himself. And he's, he's not just a thief. He's not just any thief. You see, a thief steals from other people. But it's a certain kind of thief who steals from his friends. And that's what we have here. Judas is stealing from his friends. You see, unaddressed sin slowly changes the way you see things. When Mary poured the perfume on Jesus, Jesus saw her incredible love and worship. The disciples didn't quite see the same way Jesus did, but they saw the mission that they were there to in some way reach the poor. They saw what could have been done with the money. But all Judas saw now was himself and the revenue that he was missing because he couldn't skim it off because it wasn't going in the money bag. And Judas knew what he was doing was wrong because he consciously made the decision to not only not address it with Jesus, but to hide it from everybody. He didn't share this with the disciples. The other disciples at various times through the scriptures dealt with their issues with Jesus. Judas was diligent to hide this. And here's the interesting thing. If you talk to Judas, and if you'd said to him, uh, Judas, wh wh like, what are you doing taking the money? 
I'm confident that Judas would have rationalized it. He would have gone, what are you talking about? It's no big deal. It's just a few bucks. You know, if you'd question his commitment, he, said, he would have said, what are you talking about? I've left everything to follow Jesus, just like these guys have left everything to follow Jesus. But this is where sin got a foothold in his life. And the issues of Judas and money would become the thread that ultimately led through everything in his life to his downfall. The seeds of betrayal start small. How important is it in your life to leave no sin unaddressed? Unaddressed sin, ladies and gentlemen, is a cancer. It is a seed of destruction that no matter how small will eventually become something in your life that will take over and infect every other good thing that you have going on. So let me ask you this morning, is there any sin in your life that you have overlooked? Is there any attitude, any action, any habit in your world, any behavior that you have rationalized just, just not a big deal? Maybe it's time to take a second look and don't leave these things unaddressed. You know, in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What an interesting thing that James writes. What he says is that an area of unconfessed sin can also be an area that needs healing in your life. Why don't we deal with that? Why don't we confess that to somebody? Why don't we bring that out into the open? Why don't we find healing for whatever those areas are in our lives that we have unaddressed sin? Now the second thing that caused Judas's failure leading on from his unaddressed sin was unresolved offense. Unresolved offense. In John 12, let me read this again. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor, Judas says? It was worth a year's wages. We know he didn't say it because he cared about the poor. He wanted to skim money. And so Jesus addressed him directly. Leave her alone. Leave her alone, he says to Judas. Judas, seeing this missed opportunity, objects to what Mary is doing, objects to her worship, objects and rebukes her harshly while trying to make it sound like he has a godly motivation. And Jesus told him off in front of all the disciples, probably in front of a bunch of other people gathered outside, told him off in front of Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. And instead of receiving that correction as a disciple, instead of going, whoa, Jesus, you're right, what am I doing? Instead of pulling back and, and adjusting himself to the truth, instead of that, Judas took offense. And he did not resolve that. And instead, he walked out at some point and went directly to the priest's. Now, this is interesting. This tells us that Judas obviously had issues with Jesus before this, right? I mean, you don't get told off once by your boss and then go sell him out to the mafia for a hit. Like, no one does that. So that tells us something. It tells us that this was the straw that broke the camel's back. It tells us that this has been a, a thing in Judas's life where there have been some offenses that built up and he's just kind of managed to keep going. Oh, I'm not loving this, but I'm going to keep going. And instead of resolving it, instead of talking with Jesus, instead of, it, it built up and built up until something happened. And, and for him, that was just it. That was the final straw. What was it for Judas? Maybe it was the fact that Jesus so many times addresses the issue of money. You can't love God and love money. I'm sure Judas didn't like that teaching when he was the guy skimming off the money bag. 
Maybe it was the fact that over time Judas was becoming aware that maybe Jesus wasn't going to be the king who was going to kick Rome out of Jerusalem that they all hoped he was going to be. Maybe he was carrying compounding disappointments. But the decision he made not to resolve those, not to go to Jesus and sort that out, led him ultimately to this offense, which became a defining moment in Judas's life. You know, they say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I suspect that the road to hell is more paved with unresolved offenses. Do you have any unresolved offenses this morning? Any unforgiveness towards anybody, even towards God, even towards yourself? If you do, can I encourage you this morning? Do whatever it takes within your power, within what you are able to do, to resolve any unresolved offenses that you carry. You know, unforgiveness carries a root of bitterness and allows it to take hold. It gives the devil a foothold into someone's life. It stops the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's world. It creates the environment for betrayal, for things to come that you never thought you would be possible of. Unresolved offenses. The third thing that caused Judas's failure was unrestrained contempt. Unrestrained contempt. You know, there's a moment in the Last Supper that has always confused me. Matthew 26. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now listen to this. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Now this is intriguing. Is Judas genuinely sad like the other disciples? Is he genuinely confused? Of course not. He's the guy who just a couple of days ago went and betrayed Jesus to them and agreed for a very large sum of money to hand Jesus over at the first opportunity. Judas is not confused. Judas is not sad. There is something else going on here. Okay, so then is, is he trying to pretend that it isn't him? Is he kind of putting on a big act? Surely you don't mean me, Jesus, copying the other disciples. Of course not. Judas is smart enough to know That if Jesus already knows that one of them in this group is going to betray him, that it's going to be one and not many, and it's going to be one of them who's dipping the food in the bowl, he's smart enough to know that Jesus knows exactly who's going to betray him. So what is going on here? We've got to realize that this is how we need to interpret Judas' response. Judas has carried hidden sin all this time. He has got unresolved offenses with Jesus. And now what happens? To Jesus' face, he shows unrestrained contempt. This isn't a confused or fearful or sad disciple genuinely querying the master. This is the betrayer looking full in the face of Jesus and with dripping sarcasm and complete contempt saying, surely you don't mean me, Jesus. And then the Bible says that Judas got up 
and went out and it was night. Note that Jesus calls him rabbi. He doesn't call him Lord. And this is a moment for Judas of complete rejection of God in his heart. The Bible tells us that the devil had already prompted Judas, which Judas had willingly chosen to pursue. In John 13, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas. That was all he could do was, was put an idea in his head at this stage. He put it to this idea in his mind to betray Jesus. But at the moment of his contempt in the face of Jesus, at his point of complete rejection of the Savior of the world, Judas completely opened himself up to the devil. Listen to this. Dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, knowing full well what it meant, the scripture says this, Satan entered into him. And so Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. And as soon as Jews had taken the bread, he went out. You know, contempt is a particularly destructive thing. Dr. John Gottman, uh, Professor Emeritus of Psychology at the University of Washington, uh, and recognized as one of the uh, 10 most influential therapists in the last 25 years and the founder of the Gottman Institute, he identifies the attitude of contempt as one of the foremost powerful predictors of relationship failure that exists. In fact, he says that contempt, the attitude of contempt in a marriage is the number one predictor of divorce. Fascinating this man's research. In fact, what he says is he, he says he can sit in a restaurant and listen to a couple talking for 10 minutes and predict with a 95% accuracy whether they'll get divorced in the next 10 years. Isn't that astonishing? And all of his research has proven that. He says contempt is incredibly powerful. This is what he says. He says when someone is in contempt of someone else, they are holding a position of moral superiority over them. And this is exactly what Judas was doing with Jesus. He decided that he was morally superior to Jesus. And so he disposed of Jesus' life for money. It is astonishing. You know what? In your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships with your boss or your life group leader or the people that are around you or even your children, can I encourage us all this morning? Never allow contempt to come into your world. Never treat them with contempt Contempt is the attitude of Satan. It is a destroyer. And you need to just eradicate it from your life as quickly and completely as you can. We'll get the team up now as we come towards a close. But we see Judas's journey from unaddressed sin, decisions he made around that, to unresolved offense and decisions he made around that, to unrestrained contempt in the face of God himself, a decision that he made. It is a chain of decisions made over several years that led to his utter ruin, and it is a path that you and I must do everything we can to avoid. And you know, we can learn so many interesting things from Judas's life. Like Judas, people can walk with Jesus and not deal with their sin. I don't know about you. I've had plenty of times in my life when I've been walking with Jesus, but I've been leaving my sin unaddressed. You know, like Judas, people can walk with others and not have fellowship. There were things that Judas kept from his other friends, his disciples, the 12 that he lived with 24-7 for three years. 
Sometimes we're surprised when maybe our leaders or friends or people in our life group suddenly come out with things we knew nothing about. It is possible to walk with Jesus and not have fellowship. And we must push against that. We must learn to open ourselves and become vulnerable and share our fears and our hurts and our sins with one another because healing only occurs when that happens. And thirdly, like Judas, people can justify every action and still be dead wrong. Let's not allow ourselves to justify our sins, justify our failings. Let's be people who own it, take responsibility for ourselves, and continue to mold ourselves to the image of Jesus. That is the lesson for us today.